Good morning, children. Before the sermon this morning, I'm going to have a brief message for our children. This morning's service will be special because both you and your parents will hear a message from the same Bible story, one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, David versus Goliath. Do you kids know how important you are to God? The Bible says that little children are the most important in the kingdom of heaven. And little children are the most important for three reasons. First, because they are humble by nature. Little children are who they are. They don't try to save face. This is how God wants us all to be. And little children trust and depend naturally that they will be taken care of, that their needs will be met. We all need to depend on God and trust God that he will meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Do you know that God has used children and youth, children and teenagers throughout history? God delights in using children and youth to help work with him advancing his kingdom. God uses children precisely because they are humble and they trust and depend naturally. God used Joseph by revealing dreams to him when he was a teenager. God used Moses' big sister Miriam to help save him from being killed by the Egyptians. God used Samuel from the time he was born to serve him his whole life. Do you know how old Josiah was when he became king of Israel? Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he was one of the only good kings back then. And do you remember the little boy who shared his lunch with Jesus? How many people did Jesus feed with those five pieces of bread and two fish? Over 5,000 people. God also desires to use you. With childlike faith encouraging him, God can use you too. Remember to talk with your parents later on today about what we all learned together from the story of David and Goliath. So see you soon, but first let me pray for you. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Dear God, thank you for all the children. Lord, bless them with a deep love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, may they make decisions to follow and serve you with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. Help us all as one big church family to learn together from 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget to wish your dads a happy Father's Day. It's a privilege to be able to preach God's words with all of us this morning. Please bow your heads with me. Dear God, thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. Please be with those who may be mourning today. Thank you for this morning's worship service. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts to hear from you and have mercy on me, a sinner. You are looking at a picture that was taken from the Empower God's Children Conference held here at CBCGB on February 29th. Thank God we got this in right before the COVID-19 shelter-in-place pandemic began. It really was a good conference. There were three main sessions and 10 different workshops offered, 
all of which taught over 150 people, church leaders, children's ministry workers, but most importantly, parents, how to empower their children for God in their homes, in their churches, and in their communities. I wish our entire church was present at this conference because as I've mentioned in the past, it truly does take a village to raise up a child or youth to be empowered by God and to be used by him to advance his kingdom. We are all responsible. Throughout history, God has used children and youth to do important kingdom work when only a child would do. Let me repeat that. There are many moments in the Bible and beyond where God has used children and youth to do amazing things for the kingdom. Their youthful faith and courage when only a child would do. Joseph was a teenager when God revealed dreams to him. Dreams which would dramatically affect the course of Israel's history. Genesis 37, verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Miriam, Moses' sister, showed tremendous faith and courage by suggesting to the Pharaoh's daughter that her mother feed and care for baby Moses. Exodus 2, verse 7 and 8. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Samuel was dedicated to the Lord from birth and served the God as a child. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. 1 Samuel 3.1 And at a time when most kings of Israel and Judah were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, God raised up an eight-year-old to be the king, and he did good in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And then in the New Testament, God used a small boy's willingness to share his lunch, which ultimately Jesus used to feed thousands. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? John 6, 9. There are many more stories in which God delighted in using children and youth to do amazing things for the kingdom when only a child would do. But the most famous of them all is David defeating Goliath. Before we jump into 1 Samuel chapter 17, let me say up front that we will not be getting bogged down by textual criticism. Many biblical scholars struggle with 1 Samuel 17 because at certain points it does not seem to jive with 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's the chapter in which Samuel anoints David. 
This morning, we are going to focus strictly on the story of David versus Goliath. The story of David's battle with the Philistine giant forms a coherent unit all by itself. My hope is that we can better understand the real story of 1 Samuel chapter 17 and possibly clarify some misunderstandings from the cartoon version many of us have learned in Sunday school. Ultimately, we will take away two valuable lessons from this excellent biblical narrative. The story of David's youthful faith and courage is one of the world's classic stories and one of the best known in the Bible. It provides an outstanding example of the Lord's power to give victory against dramatically overwhelming odds in response to faith and courage in him. Open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. The scene begins with Israel's hated enemies, the Philistines, lined up for battle against them. Both armies facing each other in a valley in between. Both sides have their fiercest warriors, seasoned men with lots of experience in mortal combat ready for battle. The greatest of them all was Goliath, the notorious Philistine champion and hero. An infantryman, powerful in stature, and of course he was very tall. But how tall was he? Goliath is first introduced in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion of, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Depending on how you interpret six cubits in a span in Hebrew, it could mean anywhere between six foot six, six inches tall up to nine feet nine inches tall. Many translations of the English Bible say he was six foot nine inches tall, but still many others say he was nine feet tall. My conclusion is that Goliath was between six foot nine and seven foot one inch tall. You're looking at a picture of Patrick Ewing. He played center for the New York Knicks and is considered one of the best players to ever play in the National Basketball Association. And especially for a big and tall man, he was seven feet one inches tall when he played in the NBA. I went to high school with him. I remember one day in gym class, we were playing volleyball and I was lined up opposite Patrick Ewing center front. At the time, he was about six feet, 11 inches tall. He looked like a giant to me. I went to almost every home Cambridge Fringe and Latin basketball game. We never lost. Having Patrick Ewing on our team was almost unfair, similar to David versus Goliath. Now you're looking at a picture of Robert Wadlow with his father. Robert Wadlow is the tallest human being who ever lived. He was 8 feet 11 inches when he died. He died at the age of 22 from a rare disease in which he could, could not stop growing. During the last few years of his life, he required leg braces to walk and had little feeling in his legs and feet. God could have created a supernatural Goliath, but in my opinion, he looked more like a Patrick Ewing in stature 
than a Robert Wadlow. In any case, Goliath challenged the Israelite army to select a man to meet him in single mortal combat. With the results of the battle to determine the victor of the war itself, the losers becoming slave to the winners. In other words, it would be winner take all. The Bible goes on to describe Goliath's armor in great detail. It also goes on to describe David's lack of armor. All of this is to emphasize maximum protection for Goliath and to highlight the overwhelming odds in his favor. For 40 days, Goliath taunted, challenged, and defied the Israelites to come out and fight him. And verse 11 shows their sad response. When Saul and all Israelite, Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's not lose sight of the number 40 used here. To this point in the Bible, 40 carried a foreboding of danger and judgment, as in Genesis 7, 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And in Judges 13, 1. And the people of Israel, Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. In verse 12, David is introduced into the story. He is described as a boy. Scholars argue about exactly how old he is. In the books and commentaries I have read, he has been as young as seven years old and as old as 22 years old. Based on my research, I would argue that he was a teenager probably between the ages of 14 and 18 years old. David's height was probably between 5 foot 4 inches and 5 foot 8 inches tall. This is based on the typical stature of an ancient Near East Hebrew male. So here is the tale of the tape. On one side you have Goliath, a seasoned adult warrior, in his early 30s, 6 feet 11 inches tall, weighing 250 pounds. And on this side, you have David, a shepherd, in his mid-teens, five foot six inches tall, weighing about 120 pounds. The odds were clearly in Goliath's favor. Regardless of the exact size and age of our ultimate hero, David, it is here we learn valuable lesson number one that on certain occasions, God uses children and youth instead of adults to accomplish strategic things in his kingdom. On certain occasions, God uses children instead of adults to accomplish strategic things in his kingdom. God delights in using children to build his kingdom precisely because they are children, because they are young, unsoiled vessels in his hands. I'll elaborate more on this as we continue. In verse 20, David, a mere delivery boy and messenger, shows up to the battle with food and supplies for his brothers and to bring back word to his father as to how things are going. But as David goes about his duty, 
He hears Goliath defy and disgrace Israel and the armies of the living God. As an unsoiled vessel, David says in verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. How sad is King Saul's initial reply to David's brave and courageous willingness to fight Goliath. Look at verse 33. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. He says to David, you are only a youth. Please don't ever tell our children and youth that they are only a child in such a derogatory way. They are important, precious, and capable of great things for God and his kingdom. We must value, encourage, and build up our children if they are to be used by God and become the men and women that God has planned for them to be. All of us as parents need to be careful not to baby our children too much either. If our Heavenly Father put an overly matched, gangly teenager out on the front lines of military battle against a huge and heavily armed adult warrior, we should be willing to let our children take big risks for God. I remember my wife and I took a group of youth to Costa Rica on short-term mission. It was a very good example and experience of us being a blessing to our Costa Rican brothers and sisters in the local church and community. Of course, our team was much more blessed by them in the experience. The youth on the trip had a great cross-cultural experience and learned a lot, and their faith grew tremendously. Upon arrival back home, one zealous youth decided he wanted to go into missions and go back to Costa Rica as a missionary. His parents called Angie and I and said, what did you do with our son? This is a crazy idea. You better have a talk with him. It was very discouraging for us and for him. Notice another contrast here between David and Goliath. In youthful David's vulnerability, he is confident. Look at verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Goliath is insulted by David's youthfulness. Look at verse 42. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. David is confident in what he hopes for but cannot see, and Goliath is confident in what he can see. David is confident in what he hopes for but cannot see, and Goliath is confident in what he can see. This leads us to our second most valuable lesson, faith, childlike faith, which had been sadly lacking for 40 days among the warrior grown-ups, resided in full measure in a little shepherd boy. Faith is the second most important lesson we learn from this story. 
Hebrews 11, verse 1, provides perhaps the best definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We all need to exhibit this kind of faith in our lives because Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Children, as unsoiled vessels, are more likely to be certain of what they do not see than adults. Because the more we experience life, the more cynical we become. It becomes easier the older we get to rely on our own wisdom and strength and our own talent and resources. I believe that the two lessons we have learned here this morning, that God delights in using children and youth to build his kingdom precisely because they are young and our necessity to rely on God's strength and not our own go hand in hand. So at this moment in history, God used a teenage boy to accomplish a strategic task for the advancement of the kingdom. When good met evil on the battlefield that day, God called on a child. All the military might and strength were useless. What the situation required was not human strength, but faith in God's. Only a child would do. So David, with a sling and a stone, defeats Goliath and ultimately the entire Philistine army. Let us encourage the the children in our circle of life to be used by God to help advance his kingdom. As a children's pastor, it breaks my heart to see adults and even parents of their own children do as King Saul does here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Remember back in verse 33 when Saul says to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Saul says to David, you're just a youth in a very demeaning way. But look at verses 55, 56, and 58. After David defeats the Philistine giant, King Saul refers to him as a young man. Three different times, Saul asks of David, whose son is this young man? When our kids do something wrong or silly, they are only children. But when they get a good grade on a test or score a goal on the soccer field, They are young men and women. We need to be more consistent as parents and caregivers of our children, always encouraging and building them up, intentionally empowering them to be used by God to advance his kingdom. So our two valuable lessons are, at certain times in history, God delights in using children and youth to do important kingdom work precisely because they are young, unsoiled vessels in his hands. And secondly, we all need to rely on faith in God and not faith in ourselves. Our battles belong to him. As we near conclusion, let's stop here and think about CBCGB and the church at large. How are we doing in encouraging our children 
to serve the Lord and freeing them up to practice youthful faith and courage in God. And when I say we, I mean we as church leaders, children's and youth ministries, the entire congregation, but especially us as parents of children and youth. Overall, I think CBCGB does a good job with our church's major functions, our worship, our discipleship, our fellowship, our prayer and caring, our children's and youth ministries are all good, but especially within the four walls of our church. I feel that CBCGB needs to do a better job of encouraging families to take it home, whatever your family makeup is. We as church leaders, as children's and youth coworkers, and especially as parents, need to frequently remind each other to practice what we learn at church in our daily lives, in our homes, in our schools, at work, and in our communities. Many parents feel that by dropping their children and youth off the church to attend children's and youth programs, that they are satisfying their requirement as parents in raising up their children to be empowered by God. This is just the start. You're looking at a fraction two over 168. Most children's and youth ministries have the kids for only a few hours a week out of the 168 hours in every week. The average child who attends youth, the average youth and child who attends CBCGB does so for only two to four hours a week. And at most, only two of those hours are spent in actual Bible study. Add the time the children spend in school, doing homework, extracurricular activity, traveling, grooming, eating, sleeping. How much time are they spending getting to know and love God? Deuteronomy 6-7 states, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit at home, in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. This, of course, is from the famous passage in which Moses encourages all of us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. But look at Deuteronomy 6-7 more closely. Who else could the you be here but the parents? Teach them, your children, while you sit at home, when you lie down, and when you get up. Those three things, sitting at home, lying down, and getting up, occur in the home. The other specific time mentioned here is on the road, driving back and forth from activity to home. Parents, you do have the primary responsibility of empowering your children for God. But we as church leaders, as lay leaders, also need to partner with you. Let's have a take it home mentality together as a church. Let us remind each other diligently to practice faith at home. Let me close with seven takeaways. Seven takeaways for parents and for our church to consider as we strive to empower God's children to be used by him to advance his kingdom. First is through prayer. We need to be crying out to God for his mercy for our children and youth. God has a marvelous plan for our children, 
But don't lose sight of the fact that Satan does too. As parents in church, we must be earnestly praying for our children and youth. Second is through the word of God. If we expect God's words to be in our children and youth, they must be in us first as adults. Children are much more likely to do as we do before they do what we say. Third is through a spiritual family life. We must have a take-it-home philosophy as a church. Families must intentionally practice faith at home. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Fourth is through a life of service. Look for opportunities to serve the Lord together as a family. Go on prayer walks. Pray for your neighbors. Go on a short-term mission trip together. Serve at the local food pantry. Serve the Lord together as a family. Number five, learn to overcome spiritual hurt. This is one of the most important lessons I've had to learn and our family has to learn, had had to learn. If your family undertakes this task of empowering your children for God, protect yourself with his weapons, the word of God, prayer, the Holy Spirit, etc. Number six, think of your home as holy ground. What type of soil are you providing for your child's spiritual growth? Remember the parable of the sower. The birds ate up some of the seed. Some soil was too rocky or had too many weeds. We must work together as families and as a church to provide that rich and healthy soil our children need to be empowered by God. Make your child's spiritual growth a priority. And finally, encourage our children and youth spiritual gifts. Get to know better and then utilize our children's and youth's spiritual gifts for God, for our homes, and for the, for the world. May we be known as a church that empowers our children to be used mightily by him. May we allow God to delight in using our children and youth in their youthful faith and courage to impact the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be part of your family. Thank you that we can be called children of God. Lord, bless our church. God, may we be a church who raises up children to know and love you. May we be a church who intentionally empowers our children to be used mightily by you. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.